Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What's behind the many legends about giants in human folklore? Who or what were the Nephilim? What exact, exactly constitutes a giant? Well, hello and welcome to the 621st edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm not Ben, I'm Paul, and uh, <clears throat> Ben's schedule today has kept him away from us. Uh, but those larger-in-life questions were what we were going to ask our guest, giant folklore expert Jason Jarrell, uh, had he been able to make it. But he did have a, a personal emergency, and he was unable to uh, be with us this evening. However, we have rescheduled him for February 22nd, and we'll look forward to that because we've never covered that subject before. So tonight we'll have an impromptu open-line show, and as always, we welcome your calls. It's 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. 401-766-1240 locally, and also we will monitor behind the, I should say, Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. So let's dive right into this pile of questions, which we will never catch up with anyway. Now I want to start with a, I'm almost glad this happened this evening because it was a very long and interesting and complex question from Sean, I believe it's pronounced Patel or Patel, uh, from down south, I believe Alabama, who has asked, uh, he happens to be a physicist, and of course we deal with physics on this show a lot, or at least we think we do, and we have a certain system that works for us, and uh, Sean takes a bit of an exception to that in a a gracious and good-natured way. Uh, After listening to, this is, hello Paul, after listening to a few of your Behind the paranormal, Paranormal recorded shows, I purchased your book, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, to learn more about your worldview. Early in your book, you have a lot to say about quantum physics. Much of it is sourced from authors with agendas and sounds very like the physics I know, very, sounds very little like the physics I know. I'm writing to see if I can point out some of these differences in a concise way. Perhaps it will be useful to you. A reply is not expected. Well, I always reply to, to thoughtful questions like this, and we have, uh, uh, I hope we'll continue our discussion. Um, I don't know Sean personally. I hope I will get to know him and find out more about his uh, point of view. Uh, I am a physicist. For the last 28 years, I've had the great luck to be able to spend my time researching and publishing in the areas of atomic physics, quantum quantum computing, information theory, chaos, and other nonlinear phenomena. In spite of my career in the hard sciences, I am, a sympathetic, I am sympathetic toward those working outside the mainstream, and I am embarrassed by the uncharitable attitude my colleagues often take toward researchers who dare to investigate the paranormal. Tell me about it, Sean. Perhaps that's because I've been on my own unconventional quest for knowledge, the knowledge of self, of what I am. Along the way, I was helped by individuals with non-traditional views I came to respect. A few odd personal experiences helped loosen me up, too. Back to your book. You seem to claim that parent, you seem to claim that parent, that I should say quantum physics supports your model of interacting bubble universes. I suspect most readers will take it that way. I understand that you were inspired by certain interpretations of quantum mechanics, but your model should stand or fall on its own merits without borrowing respectability from another field, especially, especially the field of quantum mechanics, which attracts every kook out there. <laughs> anyway, here are some concerns. Quantum theory describes phenomena on very small scales. The scales of subatomic particles and photons, macroscopic manifestations, that means the opposite of microscopic, the stuff that's really big, Macroscopic manifestations 
only occur in highly con- contrived situations under extreme conditions. See Bose-Einstein condensates. That's one of these shows you should get college credit for. The situations described in your book happen at length scales far beyond those where quantum effects dominate. Okay, uh, I'm going to stop right there. You heard what I've read, uh, I've read so far. Now, I must say, Sean uh, states his case very uh, articulately, but I don't, I'm not entirely sure what his case is. Ben and I are not physicists. I have never actually worked, at least not very for any length of time, with a physicist because they don't want to really get involved, just as Sean has suggested. Unless you're prepared to accept the spiritualist point of view uh, on this, the two-dimensional world of matter on one side with this veil and the the spirit world on the other side, unless you're prepared to accept that, because I think it's ridiculous and I've seen no evidence of it, then you have to have an alternative explanation for the things we've seen. I state, I believe, in uh, the book Footsteps in the Attic that I know at least about as much about physics as many physicists know about the paranormal, because that doesn't prove anything, but it just goes to show that that perhaps some they should be a little more open-minded, and Sean certainly seems uh, to be seems to be open-minded. Just because he disagrees with my point of view doesn't mean that he's not open-minded, or even that he's wrong. Because I'm Ben and I are always saying that we could we could be wrong about these things. However, my point is that there has to be a better explanation, at least from what we've seen and heard, and in my case, over 45 years, uh, to the um, I think rather silly. Uh, but understandable spiritualist approach to what the paranormal uh, may be. Ghosts as spirits of the dead, uh, totally separate from UFOs, which of course have to be aliens in nuts and bolts spacecraft if they exist at all, and uh, things of that kind, Bigfoot and Loch Ness monster and all this business uh, being just really hard to find creatures that we haven't discovered yet. I mean, that, that may be true, but I don't believe that anymore, not for a long time now. So the best explanations I found were in uh, popular books uh, written in the 1970s and 80s. That, that That's where I started anyway. And I said, aha, this could very well explain the paranormal phenomena in a much more logical way and, and in a way that uh, is not two-dimensional, actually multi-dimensional in, in every sense of the word. We There are, as we often say, and as I've said in my books, there are multiple explanations for the viewpoints of quantum mechanics, which it is very hard for the modern, particularly Western mind, to accept because it is non-materialistic, or at least implies non-materialistic um, facts or would-be facts about the universe, or in this case, the multiverse. There are many different interpretations of things uh, that that we call the multiverse. Um, all possibilities, all probabilities existing in parallel, interactive, simultaneous universes. No past and no future. And that, of course, gets into uh, some non-quantum science and physics such as Einstein dealt with. Uh, However, I've seen no better explanation for the things I've seen and heard than than an interpretation of the multiple worlds theory of quantum mechanics, the multiverse theory, as we often talk about. So that's... um, so there are different points of view. Uh, one eminent physicist, uh, Dr. Fred Allen Wolf, has been on the show and agreed with our interpretation. Now, some would say, and perhaps Sean might be among them, that Fred Allen Wolf is uh, sort of a pop physicist, 
uh, who he didn't agree with us completely, but he agreed with us uh, 99%, I'd say. Uh, others do as well. One has asked that his name not, he's from Oxford University, asked that his name not be mentioned on the air because he's afraid of some of the implications of his colleagues, just as Sean says, uh, criticizing him if he's studying the paranormal. So there are different points of view. There is no one right way necessarily to look at quantum physics. As in politics, there are many points of view. So I should point that out as I continue. As Sean's may be correct. Uh, his second point here, superposition states, that's the root of all quantum weirdness, he says, cannot be observed. Observation destroys them. That means that one would never see into another of your bubble universes based on quantum theory as it stands now. Your model requires interaction, but states in superposition do not interact with each other. They are like radio waves that pass through one another utterly unaffected. That is a matter for debate, as was his first point, that quantum mechanical phenomena occur only on the microscopic level. Not even microscopic, but sub, the subatomic level. Th that is a matter for debate. Uh, so that is not necessarily the position to take. Uh, our position, we side with, with physicists, physicists who say that we have uh, reflections on the macroscopic level, on, on the level of what we would call the multiverse, ghosts, UFOs, etc., that would probably explain this. But again, people don't agree on it. Uh, and here's Sean's next point. For what it's worth, I'll add that intelligent observers and or consciousness do not play a role in quantum mechanics. Um, I don't know if we're forgetting the Heisenberg uncertainty principle here, that a wave or a particle is not one or the other unless somebody looks at it. Um, and uh, Sean continues, those are undefined terms. Well, I'm not sure, but I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's correct, although I bow to his doctoral degree. Measurement is the key concept. Measurement happens when a quantum state with a few degrees of freedom is suddenly coupled to a system of much larger size. Okay. So, um, and finally, Sean makes the point that multiple worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics adds no testable consequences to the theory. It's just a very fanciful way of interpreting the phases of solutions to the Schrodinger equation. Now, that's something we've, got, we've gotten into in other shows, but I won't in this at this point, there are many other perfectly fine interpretations that make no reference to alternate universes. That's true. However, uh, I would bring up to Sean the question that I mentioned to a number of our guests on a number of different uh, points, particularly when it comes to UFOs, the question of what constitutes proof. Our entire scientific method, and we've gone into this several times on the show, is based on an assumption that the world is matter made up of interactions with other matter. And energy usually is, is very often the engine of that. But the idea that we live in a, in a world that cannot be interpreted in any meaningful way as entirely material, such as many of our remote ancestors believe, or that shamans may believe today, uh, that is a big problem for science in general. Th that's the problem with sciences like psychology or many aspects of quantum mechanics. Mainstream scientists have trouble accepting it because it's outside of mainstream science. That means it's outside of the materialist paradigm, the matter is everything paradigm, that we base all our thinking on. It's a new day, folks. Uh, Sean, I, I would just suggest that there are um, shortcomings to the scientific method. I, I don't even know if it's valid anymore except to build a road or to get you to the moon or, or to... to build a house or something like that. You know, there are, there are areas outside of science that the paranormal seems to fit into. And I think the bridge 
may be quantum mechanics. Uh, people have said, uh, are looking at the string theory now and all this business, but we won't get into that. So um, I, I, I respect what Sean says here, but I think there are other interpretations that are just as valid as his. So uh, Sean continues, I could probably be out-argued on some of these points, but in any case, it would be a long, long slog to rigorously connect quantum physics to your model. I hope at least to, to have given some insight as to why a physicist might be impatient with quantum ghost theories. I respect that. Uh, looking over what I've written, Sean continues, I'd like to suggest that a field of paranormal research might be moved to step closer to respectability if it stopped ga grasping at tenuous connections with quantum physics. Well, I would suggest, Sean, that many uh, areas that have approached respectability have been proven wrong in the past. And I would cite uh, the excellent book by uh, our good friend uh, Stanton Friedman, physicist, and, uh, and, and uh, Kathleen Marden, science was wrong. They go through history and point out areas that were scientific laws, as well as axioms, things of this kind, that were later proven wrong by better information. And I would, again, point to the idea that materialism uh, will not it will tell you what something, it'll tell you about something, but it will not tell you what something is. The nature of things is, I think, non-material. Uh, millions of, of people before us, generations and generations would agree with that, and they were not stupid people, our ancestors. So that's my suggestion. I see no, and Sean continues, I see no reason the paranormal can't be approached scientifically. Well, what do you mean scientifically? Which science? In fact, I think we are already doing that. All that is required is a way of collecting data and coming up with falsifiable hypotheses. Again, materialism. What constitutes proof? Um, and Sean continues, what has to be carefully avoided are ideas that can explain anything but predict nothing. Well, I mean, really? And finally, uh, Sean uh, writes, I just finished reading the rest of the book. That's my book, Turning Home. I enjoyed it very much. There's, there's too many moving parts to comment on in this email because the book is a lot, about a lot more than physics. My path was very different from yours, but having talked with many seekers over the years, I've noticed that if they really want to know the truth, whatever that may be, they wind up walking back right smack into it no matter what direction they go. Thank you for the lovely book. Take care, Sean. Uh, thank you, Sean. Again, very articulate. I love to be disagreed with by people who have uh, who know what they're talking about. And uh, I just would point out there are alternatives to this particular point of view of thinking. And I hope to hear from you soon. Uh, you're even welcome to call in. I'll give the number again, 800-449-1240. Uh, and uh, that's anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Okay, oh, there's the phone ringing. We'll see who that is. But uh, barring that being uh, a caller for the show uh we have another question here this is for alex uh from alex f and alex does not say where he is from however alex will have to wait because we do have a caller welcome to behind the paranormal you're on on 1240 hello this is uh, bill from franklin oh how are you doing okay um i hope we didn't put you to sleep with uh, all the academic discussion previously Well, that's interesting. So, do you see the people first? Like uh, one dream I had, I was, I was walking down the street with this young girl, and I told her she, she she's uh, grown up to be a beautiful woman and everything. And, and I knew who she was, and, and I knew her mother. But 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 me looking at the dream, I, I don't even know who she is at all. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, uh, not entirely. Uh, what has this happened before? Like in the dream, I knew who she was, but but when I look at it from from 
from my point of view, I don't know who she is. So when you dream, you will see someone and you know who they are. But if you see them in waking life, is that before or after the dream? After the dream. So you see them in waking life after you dream about them and you don't know who they are. So, so in other words, you don't remember the dream. Uh, you kind of lost me here. I remember part of the dream, but I, I don't know who, who the girl is. You know, in the dream, I know the girl, but out of the dream, I don't know her. <laughs> okay, but you, but you have seen, you have seen her. Uh, no, not really. Oh, you have. Oh, okay, I got you. Well, th this is, uh, and I'm going to get in trouble with Sean here probably, but uh, th this is our idea that uh, some dreams, at least, may be experiences of what our subconscious life could be, which I think uh, probably our parallel lives we're living. Uh, that sort of thing happens to to me a lot. Maybe it's because I'm getting old, but it always has. Uh, and I dream of the town I'm, I'm in on a certain street, but but every, but all the buildings don't look anything like what what, what they do here. You know. Yeah, possibly a parallel world experience. I mean, that, yeah. that's one of my suggestions. Uh, I, I've often said that I have dreams. Uh, my wife and I will go to a certain restaurant on the corner of a street in a town in Pennsylvania. And I have no, I've never been there in waking life, so-called. I don't know where yeah. it is, but it, it, I have memories of that world. I have uh, long memories of, of other places where I visit in dreams. Uh, it's, I know I've been there before. I have specific people. Uh, so maybe you're having a similar experience. Yeah, and, the, and these and the town I live in, you know, you know the, the buildings that look different. I've I've been there before in other dreams. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As as have I. Not to. What'd you say you live? Do you live in Franklin? Yeah, Franklin. Franklin, Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm familiar with it because I had to pick up Ben a million times there at the the T station when he was going to college in Boston. But I didn't. Uh, buildings, <clears throat> buildings look look more like Las Vegas than they do Franklin. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, the town fathers might like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the town planner would have a nervous breakdown. But in any case, uh, I know exactly what you mean. Just give um, me an idea. What, what the heck am I dreaming, you know? Well, I think you, you may be very well having parallel life experiences or at least glimpses. And, and I'm always walking. All, I'm, I'm walking all over the place in my dreams. I walk everywhere. Okay. You don't, you don't fly or take a scooter, huh? I usually walk because I don't drive anyway. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I walk a lot too in dreams. Maybe we'll run into each other one of these nights. <laughs> But, yeah. but I think that that's probably exactly what's happening. I think it's entirely normal. I think it happens to lots and lots of people all the time. And yeah, I uh, the, the, told you one time before I had a dream about, uh, about the, the middle of, of uh, Franklin be, being built, and I was walking through it watching the, watching the buildings being built. Really? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, in many of these parallel worlds, I mean, if, if we are correct, I mean, I, I happen to believe that it's, it's different times, relatively speaking, to where we are. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you, you know, you are... If this is correct, see who, you know, I see through through my eyes, so I don't know if it's actually me. I'm seeing through, or if it's somebody else. You know, I don't hear them call me Bill. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's another point. That's another point. I mean, uh, part of our theories are that we are really we are each other at certain points in the this whole system because maybe maybe it's not me that's that's seeing this. You know what maybe I mean? it's me. I mean, who knows? <laughs> You know, but it's uh, it's I think it's exciting to consider. It's it's rather um, elegant, I think, in many ways. And uh, anything really is possible. So I think, uh, it, in my opinion, that's what's going on. OK, OK. Excellent. Thank you. Oh, thank you for the call. Bye. Bye bye. OK, we'll get back to Alex here in. Uh, we don't know where he is, but he says, I heard your interview. This goes back. OK, I heard your interview without Bell today while I was at work. 
That's interesting. I haven't done an interview without Bill for years, but anyway, let's see what we have to say here. I love to listen to old Art Bell. He's a well-known radio fellow who pioneered paranormal radio back in who knows when. He just retired again, yeah. Um, anyway, his interviews uh, while working, and today I happen to listen to yours. Anyway, I listen to Art Bell more for entertainment rather than educational purposes. Most of Art's guests are pretty wacky. <laughs> but I feel like I actually learned something when listening to you, and this is why I'm reaching out to you. Well, thank you. I'm a student of math and physics, and I truly love when claims can be substantiated def- definitively and without much debate. Some debate is always good, I agree. I was utterly fascinated by your description of otherworldly intelligences and your conviction uh, when claiming their existence. I want to believe I want to believe in your otherworldly intelligences. Sounds like what was it, Mulder and the X? I want to believe. Well, me too, Alex. Uh, I want to believe in your otherworldly intelligences. I think they exist, but this certainly doesn't prove that they do exist. Where can I find any material that would substantiate the existence of these parasites you describe? I must admit that I feel that the Bible and other sacred texts are lacking a rigorous logical approach when presenting information, and so I don't, don't consider them as reliable sources. Okay, well, um, again, what do you mean rigor, you know, rigorous according to what? Rigorous according to a, 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 a fallible, inadequate, uh, unworld-describing paradigm and scientific method? I mean, I have great respect the greatest respect for science, but I don't think it's good enough to explain, or I should say to define reality. As I say, it, it can describe things, it cannot tell you what they are in their essence. Maybe that's my philosophy degree talking, but I don't know. So I would suggest you look back through all human literature, all human tradition, all human culture, all human history, Alex, and the action of, well, you mentioned specifically parasites, which are things we believe feed upon human emotions, um, forms of life, not, not spirits and all this business. But I think that if you look back through every, everything in human history, you will see not only the paranormal influencing human behavior, what is perceived to be the paranormal, you will see uh, the action of, of parasites. Had there been, as we have often said on the show, had there been no questions to be asked, had there been no mysteries to be explained, there would, had there been no experiences of our remote ancestors with what they believed were supernatural beings, there would be no religion. And there would be no science, for that matter, because there would be no questions. Science and the paranormal, actually science and religion, are both children of the paranormal. They are not at odds. It's often perceived that they are, and that they really haven't been at odds until sort of fundamentalist religions began to emerge really in the past few hundred years. And before that, they were pretty much pretty compatible bedfellows, religion and, the, religion and science, and religion and science and the paranormal altogether. So um, I think you're going to find it everywhere. Alex continues. Uh, I am, however, a believer in the unity and oneness of reality. That's something I talk about in the book, Turning Home. Uh, the blissful, infinite togetherness from which all things come from and end up. I've experienced it, but I can't explain it. Nor can I truly remember the experience of it, only that I did. I know this doesn't make much sense, but it's the best, I can ex- best way I can explain. The truth is, I miss it terribly, whatever it was, and I want to get close to it again. During my brief experience, I think that I was cared for by an intelligence made of the purest form of love, I never thought could exist. I want to experience this again, and I think you might be able to help me in this regard. Well, thank you, Alex. You have an, 
a very uh, I'm flattered, but I, I don't I know what you mean. Uh, there are various terms for this kind of experience. Many people uh, experience it uh, at various points in their lives. Some people only once, some people never. It is often considered a spiritual experience, uh, an experience of, of uh, coming into contact with God, who in reality is not off in the sky someplace, but is really closer to us than we are to ourselves, I believe. And uh, I, I just think that that's something that you can't plan, you can't take a course in order to obtain it. I think you have to simply be open to it. And how do you do that? Well, I would suggest a very basic spiritual exercise, which actually it takes a lot of work. And we don't like that today, do we? We don't like the idea that you have to put a lot of work into something like spirituality in order to to make it work. But I think that we have to. Uh, A simple exercise is to simply learn, and maybe it's not so simple, to clear, clear the mind. There is a lot of chatter. Sometimes people don't even notice it that goes on in their minds all the time. It is a matter of learning to control it. Uh, One of the primary uh, instruments for doing that is uh, meditation. And uh, there are many traditions of meditation, but they all essentially are are human in their origin. Uh, They have, uh, if if nothing else, if you don't have any mystical experiences, at least they will uh, lower your blood pressure usually and help you to live a little bit um, uh, more detached in a good sense life. And uh, they're good for your heart and things of this kind. So I would say that that's uh, something to pursue. Clear the mind. Get the chatter out of there. Don't plan ahead. As I mean, do it obviously for, for safety reasons and for common sense reasons. But generally in your life, just live with a clear mind. As you see, judge. As you anticipate, you know, prepare in that sense. Uh, when you meet someone, be open and um, deal with it as it comes. Take every moment. They say one day at a time. That's good advice. Actually, I'd say take every moment at a time. Don't be unprepared. But you'll find that when your mind is clear, you will be prepared. You don't have to think things out in words or pictures in order to make them work. So I would say that's where you would start, Alex, um, as far as being open to things. Why do we have, oh, we have a break. Why do we have a break? Because it's 6.30. So you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and, well, Paul Eno tonight, Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful but chilly Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Megan Brady, and I'm inviting you to join YWCA Rhode Island Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for YW She Shines Radio, a program that celebrates the aspirations and accomplishments of women. For more information, visit sheshines.org. Owen Radio, Owen Worldwide. And welcome back, and we'll talk about our charities later in the show during our announcement period because there are several Ben and I have adopted. You will... I think you should support them if you can. So just to finish uh, Alex's letter, um, I have been searching for hard data, pictures, audio, et cetera, which at least supports our or leads real credibility to the existence of otherworldly intelligences. Do you have anything that meets this criteria? Well, maybe I'll deal with you separately on that, Alex, off the air. I'm not asking as Downing Thomas, but as a student of real objective science and as a whole, as a humble soul desperate to remember the real reality. Well, real objective science, what is that? That's the problem. Everybody seems to have. That's what's educated into us. And the real reality, I would venture to say, is educated out of us. 
okay, when we are very little. That's, I think that's a problem. But the question is, what do you replace it with? Um, I don't know. We're going to talk about that some other time. Thank you, Alex, for your very perceptive and thoughtful uh, note. Now, uh, I'm going to take some stuff from Facebook, questions that come in from Facebook that are a lot shorter and hopefully a little more, um, uh, e a little easier to answer without getting into a lot of science and philosophy in the second half of the show. So this is from John in Limerick, Ireland. Paul and Ben, I find it fascinating when you talk about poltergeist cases and say that objects never move when you look directly at them. That raises two questions. Why and isn't why and isn't it possible that someone is creating a hoax if you are looking away? Well, very good and sensible question, John. Let me tell you again a few things that occurred during poltergeist cases that I've investigated over the years. I, it is true that these objects, when they fly around the room, I've been hit by television sets, I've been injured, there are things flying around. But when you are looking directly at them, they don't seem to be, they don't seem to, to move at that point. They seem to be, it's when they're just out of your line of vision. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, you're in the same room with these things. There's nobody else in the room. Uh, things are, other things are going on. And I mean, if someone was doing this, creating a hoax, especially in a small house, I'm thinking of the Bridgeport, Connecticut house in 1974, 74, essentially a three or three to four room bungalow, that you would see that, especially when you're in the presence of trained observers, such as journalists, firefighters, and police officers, which was the case in that, uh, in that house in Bridgeport. So, um, yes, it, is, it, it, it raises an interesting question in my mind. Uh, I, I can't help but think of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, the, the observer in quantum physics. And here we go again, Sean, you're going to put out a contract on me yet. When, you, when you're looking at, when you're observing... Um, in well, in the case of uh, the laboratory, a scientific uh, uh, scenario would be it, a particle is only a particle sometimes. This is something that's smaller than atoms. And a wave sometimes, depending on who's looking at it and how it's being measured and, and this sort of thing. So uh, if you look at, so, so it, does the act of observing prevent the poltergeist activity from occurring? And again, I don't always think that this is an entity throwing the table or the television set or floating the ashtray across the room. I think very often, because I've never, I, I really have very seldom felt any kind of a presence when those things have occurred. I often wonder if it's not the byproduct of the process that allows the entity to come into our particular world, as it, as it were, to affect people's lives and, and homes. So, and I, I always use the, uh, the metaphor of people running down the hallway and unintentionally they stir up wind and unintentionally you know, they, they knock the papers off the table, things of that kind, as an example. So regardless of what is causing it, uh, I have no direct explanation for why, at least I've never seen things happening uh, when I look directly at them. You just see the result and you see the thing flying through the air after it, you haven't looked at it. But there are, I should point out, uh, several occasions when I've heard reports from, from people I trust that they have seen things uh, occur as they are looking at them, okay? So maybe it's me. I don't know. But that's probably the best uh, response I can give to that, uh, that question. Uh, we have another question here. This is from Terry uh, in our listening area, North Providence, Rhode Island. I have heard you talk about personality changes taking place to certain people, especially in parasite cases. What is the process behind this? Well, that's an interesting question, Terry. 
in my opinion, and I have officiated, not officiated, but assisted at exorcism cases back when I was a seminary student, not for many years now, fortunately, because I don't like that. It's um, the possibility is there from our point of view, again, getting into this multiple worlds idea, that at some point in one or more of these worlds, you are the entity, the parasite, and vice versa. I think that's as real as it gets. And I think that's why, the at least in possession cases, as I've seen, you know, so-called, there seems to be an identity, in a way, between the victim and the parasite, or, or the popularly known as the demon. You know, I don't think their theology is the same at all. And I've seen this happen. And I um, was very um, concerned during, I, I witnessed 10 exorcisms, three of them on the same person. I was very concerned that they weren't doing the right thing here. But I was a young student for the priesthood, and they weren't, you know, it was like they're going to listen to me. That, that wasn't going to happen. So I pretty much kept my mouth shut, and they went through the old ritual, and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And I think in several cases it did damage. But again, this was the belief system, and I couldn't question it. I think we were looking at a, um, a bonding between a parasite and a, and a host in a way that was very difficult to break and in a way that affected the person's personality, which is the basis of your question. I have not seen, nor do I believe that it, at least I've never seen it. I shouldn't say I don't believe it because I don't know. But I've never seen an entity totally take someone's personality, okay? As a matter of fact, in every case that I've witnessed, it seemed that the, the victim, the host, in a way had a, a, a tacit approval or agreed in a, in somewhere down deep in their, psycho, in, in, their, in their psyche, I suppose. They agreed to this relationship. But I have never seen them totally lose their free will or totally lose their ability to control their own bodies. I've seen strange things happen. I've seen people floating in the air and things of this kind, but I've never seen them uh, totally lose any kind of control that they themselves did not tacitly agree to. That's my opinion. I may have observed incorrectly. It was a long time ago, and I don't know. But there are less serious cases of personality change that uh, are not related, were not related, in my experience, to any sort of possession scenario. There were situations where people would simply become, would simply change. Uh, they would become uh, less easy to get along with. They would become irritable. They would become violent at times. Sometimes they would know things they really shouldn't have known. Again, in other words, they would know things they weren't taught, languages they, they weren't, they had never studied, things of this kind. They just sort of knew things. Um, in, in my case, I had someone uh, know some things about the death of my father that I, that there's no way uh, that they could have known. And it was the entity speaking to me in a possession case. But, but again, uh, when you trace back the footsteps, so to speak, in cases of that kind, I've often seen that it leads to this particular person having been involved in some sort of occult practice, particularly Ouija boards and maybe seances, and very often um, unbeknownst to their family in the house in which they live. Uh, very often get calls from people who say that, uh, well, my son's personality has changed or my father's personality has changed. It's really strange. And when you go and talk to them, it's, uh, you know, and, and, you, and I'm not a psychologist and you always will bring in 
healthcare professionals if uh, the need arises. But nevertheless, I find that often the person with the changed personality has been doing these things, uh, playing around with the occult, or they have friends who have gotten them involved in a group uh, that is doing that. Uh, that's very often the case, I find. We, all, we sometimes will find, as we have in this Litchfield, Connecticut, paranormal flap case that I've been dealing with with several people I trust, including Ben, that you have public changes in personality, apparently. And uh, we're still assembling statistics on this, but at one point in that case, uh, after the military had shown up and come and gone, it's another story you've heard about on other shows, that people would begin um, having personality changes uh, en masse almost, way beyond statistical probability, uh, driving on the wrong sides of the roads, driving into trees, committing suicide, threatening people, violent uh, domestic altercations went up 82% in one month in this area. And again, we're still tracing down stats on that. That is not normal. So you wonder what's really going on. And in this area, we've got what we believe, we call it a flap area, an area of intense paranormal activity where the phenomena do not necessarily seem to be related to each other. In other words, you have people getting out of their cars and watching UFOs in the sky, and they go home and they see apparitions in their houses. You don't think those are related, right? Well, I think they are because the same process is allowing them to take place in the same area. Multiple world intersects. We believe, and we believe that's why the military was there, because they're studying it and trying to weaponize it, to put it bluntly. That was our opinion. And there's still a lot of fluky stuff going on over there, and particularly at, uh, um, well, I'm, uh, well, we're going to talk about that at some other point. So in other words, uh, personality level, uh, levels can be uh, changed seemingly by paranormal phenomena, and particularly by parasites, uh, at all levels, the individual level, the family level, and uh, even the public level. And that gets into the question, well, some of our, our, our leaders, or when there are wars, I mean, what, who's really behind that? I mean, you can't take away personal responsibility for our own governance. But you wonder if um, these uh, parasites can influence people in order to produce energy they can eat. And that's what it's all about. That, that, what, can they do that? And they can do it with families. We've seen it. Can they do it with countries, with tribes, I and mean, we believe they have in the past. So th these, these are very scary questions, but of course that's what we deal with. So that's my answer to that, okay. And we have another one from Lori in Connecticut. Uh, Lori writes, uh, you have been on the air for years and it took me a while to get my head around some of your ideas, but you must get as frustrated as I do that some people listen to you all the time and still don't get it. They still talk about spirits, veils, and the other side. Do you think there is another way to get your ideas across or are some people just hopeless? Well, thank you, Lori. Uh, I often think that, uh, on the other hand, we try to humble ourselves with the thought that maybe we're wrong and maybe these spiritualist types are right. Uh, it is true that we've had a number of guests over the years and that, well, these we seldom have mediums and psychics on the show for this very reason. They will uh, agree with you and they want to be on the show because a lot of people listen to it. But then when you ask them questions, relative to some new approaches that we think we try to take to the paranormal and what do they think about it. They'll, all, they'll agree with you and that there are you know, other dimensions or whatever, but they'll always fall back on the idea, oh, well, it's spirits and they're on the other side. They, they really don't seem to get it, or maybe we don't get it, I don't know. But Laurie, thank, that's a, an interesting point of view and thank you for the question. We've wondered about that many times ourselves. <coughs> Excuse me. So we have... 
another one here. This is from a Mark in New Jersey. Mark is from New Jersey. And Mark has written several times to the show. And um, he heard me on another show and uh, agreed with the theories. And he has uh, been um, thinking about that. And he writes, I am 49 years old and an engineer. I graduated from NJIT. Oh, I think we, we started this question. We didn't finish it. Uh, New Jersey Institute of Technology, I believe that is. Uh, I have always been fascinated with time and the possibility of time travel. When I was young, I would watch reruns of the show Bewitched, and sometimes Samantha would twitch her nose and be somewhere back in time, uh, like to see Leonardo da Vinci or some past notable character. This had me thinking at a young age, I thought, hmm, if she goes back to, say, 1620, then leaves that timeline, do the people in the timeline just freeze until she comes back again? Can't be. Okay, I'm going to pick that up later because we have another caller. Uh, welcome to Behind the Paranormal on ON 1240. Hey, Paul, this is Phil from Orange Mass. Yes, Phil. How are you? Oh, just ducky. How are you doing? Good. Uh, just a couple of quick gratuitous comments. Um, at, the, at the outset of the show, you, you read um, a note from a physicist mm -hmm. um, who was giving sort of a synopsis of how quantum mechanics works or how people think it works. Well, some people think and, it works. Exactly. And so I just um, wanted to throw in a comment from the 30,000-foot level, which is this. You remember um, back when the purported scientist from Area 51 started making his rev revelations about the, uh, his name is Lazar, Bob Lazar. He, he was talking about what he had learned about the alien spacecraft. And one of the things he said was that the, the craft that were stored at the base were powered by something called Element 115, uh, which has since been discovered, apparently. Well, at the time, I recall reading over and over that all the transuranic elements only exist you know, for like a millionth of a second, and then they decay. Well, apparently the 115 defies the laws of quantum mechanics or whatever, and it's perfectly stable. So we should be careful about what we assume about quantum mechanics because I don't think we know very much about it. And the second observation, um, you're going to have your, your expert on the giants, coming on in February, I believe you said? Hopefully, yes. Okay. Are you familiar with the pictures of the underwater Unaguni Monument off the coast of Japan? I have heard of it. I don't believe I'm familiar with the photographs. Okay. Well, it's easy enough to find them. Um, you might consider asking your expert about that monument because if it is a man-made monument, I mean, some, some people say, well, the, all those right angles were created by currents just chipping off the blocks of stone. Uh, and it's a massive, massive monument, by the way. Um, if you look at the divers swimming around this thing and you look at the, what might be steps, well, they certainly would be awkward for a human to traverse but for a very large being or very large human would be perfectly normal. So I would love for you to ask your expert about that monument and if that ha 
crossed his mind about possible circumstantial evidence for giants. I think that's a great idea, Phil, and uh, we will do so. Okay. Thanks again for the show. Loving it. Okay, very good. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, yes, referring to Jason Jarrell, who was uh, supposed to be our guest tonight, but he had an emergency, and we re- rescheduled for February 22nd. Uh, what, one of the things I'm going to bring up with, with Jason also is the idea that uh, what, as we asked in the beginning of the show, what constitutes a giant? People, uh, if you go to a place like Sturbridge Village uh, near us in uh, Sturbridge, Massachusetts, where they have a community from the 1830s reconstructed there, and there are actual buildings that were brought from other parts of New England, as I understand it. And uh, the doorways are rather low, and some people have to duck when you go out. People were shorter, as a rule, in olden times. Uh, George Washington was not, and he was, he was sort of awed everybody because he was like way over six feet, I believe. And so uh, that was one of his, uh, his uh, strong points, um, so to speak. So these are all things we'll get into on February 22nd. But I'm dealing with Mark's question here, uh, talking about time travel, something that is very interesting as well. Um, and his question again, uh, if uh, and he's talking about going back to, say, 1620, and uh, someone leaves that time, do the people in that timeline just freeze until she comes back again? Well, you know, this gets into our crazy notion of quantum mechanics and uh, the nature of reality. Essentially, we exist, if we're correct, and again, a lot of people disagree with this, that if this idea is correct, every microsecond is like a photograph. Have you ever taken a photograph, especially when you were a kid, a bunch of photographs and flip through them? And you can see, say, a horse moving. This was done in the late 1800s when they were beginning to invent uh, films, things of this kind, movies. And you can see the horse moving simply uh, through a very quick series of uh, still photographs. And, of course, this is the human mind reacting to the visual stimuli as well. And it looks like the horse is running or whatever, or the the man is running or or what, what have you. So... I think this is essentially the nature of reality, that every single microsecond is frozen in the multiverse and that we are not moving through time. Our consciousness is, so to speak. That's why, as Einstein said, time is essentially a function of our consciousness. It has no real existence. So the paranormal notions such as reincarnation can't be possible in the way that most people understand that because there is no past. How can you have past lives if there is no past? And there is no future. It's all simultaneous. We just experience them one picture, if you will, one frame at a time. That's how it seems to work. And we move through what Ben and I call world families all the time, all through these photos, if you will, in a, in a logical line that we decide on. And when something, some other consciousness bumps us, or say a parasite bumps through uh, to eat from their own world where the physics of uh, the laws of physics may be very different and where they can probably do that very easily, uh, that that's when we see you have paranormal experiences. It sounds like a fairy tale, but that really does seem to be one interpretation of these, these whole, uh, this whole thing. So the idea that you could be, the people are going to freeze at any point and say 1620 or otherwise, Mark, is uh, probably not correct, at least from our point of view. Uh, there is the old time conundrum that we often mention, and uh, this, has been, this has gone back uh, several hundred years, I guess, when people started thinking about time travel. If you somehow go back in time and uh, say you do away with one of your own ancestors, how could you ever be born? 
would would things in the time you came from just change all around you and everything you ever affected or anything you ever did would be undone and the time and everything would change unbeknownst to all the rest of us well that was one theory and many films you see coming from hollywood uh including star trek will run on that point of view i remember star trek 4 they go back uh, I think it was one of the most entertaining of the Star Trek films. And they go back to, uh, I guess, 1990 or so, whenever the thing was made, to San Francisco, of course, cheap to film there. And they uh, encounter a man who uh, is going to provide them with some materials they need to carry whales back to the 24th century, or wherever it was. And they, the materials had not been invented, materials they needed. So they... Um, gave him the formula, and I remember it was Scotty, I think, and the Dr. McCoy, I'm not really a Trekkie, I don't know if I know these people, were saying, well, how could we do that? We'll change history. He said, well, maybe the guy invented the thing. So they gave him the formula, transparent aluminum, thank you, Mr. Producer, and uh, that was how that worked. So they were able to get their whales, it's a long story. So uh, that, that would never necessarily have happened. I mean, uh, Many, many, many worlds, billions and billions, maybe an infinite number of worlds in which the guy didn't invent the thing would have continued and they wouldn't have changed anything. They would simply have created another time stream, not another universe, really. That's one point of view that quantum physics might take. So I don't think that the question has any meaning here, Mark. I don't think that would be a problem as far as time travel is concerned. And Mark continues, that's when I came up with this theory at the age of nine that there must be multiverses and... 13 colonies are being founded and so on. I'm sorry, I'm skipping a line. In fact, all timelines are happening at the same time. You know, one of the reasons that attracted me to your note, Mark, was because that is exactly the age when I started thinking about this stuff. Very strange. And I told some of my friends about it and they just kind of looked at me, but I was a weird kid. I guess I'm a weird grown up too, I suppose. But uh, that was the same time, age of nine, I started thinking about the same thing. And uh, Mark goes on. Right now, the pyramids are being built, uh, the 13 colonies are being founded, and so on. I perceive that time travel wasn't possible per se, but verse jumping is, kind of like layers on an onion. All, all timelines run parallel to each other. Well, funny you should say that, Mark, because I was speaking with a physicist who actually believes that he's working on time travel, and he works for the military. And, he's, and I, I can't say any more about that because I don't really know, but it's kind of a funny combination. And he said... To travel through time, I think it was just sort of slipping here. If you travel through time, you don't move back and forth. You move sideways. Think about that. And I think that uh, maybe Mark has come up, come up with something here that that's what it is. These times are all parallel, not sequential. All right. So Mark goes on. Uh, Verse jumping is kind of like layers of an onion. All timelines run parallel to each other. This surely has to be why people hear or see so-called ghosts. I agree. I surmised it was just other verses bleeding uh, through into our verse, as in multiverse. I told, or universe, I told my educators of this theory and was basically told, you're crazy, kid. That's just nonsense. You're... Years later in college, I wrote a paper outlining my theories called and called it the Bewitch effect, the Bewitched effect. Paul, after hearing you many times, I think you, we are on the same page and every atom in my body tells me this is true and the answer to so many anomalies are strange ghostly happenings people see and hear. 
I think through harmonic resonance, resonance, it might be possible to punch through to other verses. I'm working on that, Paul. Well, don't work too hard on it, Mark, because that's what people with Ouija boards are doing, and it's not a good result usually. Maybe you can contact me off the air, and we'll talk more about this. Uh, thank you for taking time to read my words. I wish you all the best in your work. And uh, Mark, oh, he's from Mobile, Alabama. Okay, at the bottom of his note, he says. <coughs> Excuse me. So there we are. I think we better get into our announcements at this point. And thank you all for writing in very, very thoughtful and articulate uh, letters, and we appreciate it. Okay, so let's get into our announcements. Let's see, we have, uh, we're rapidly booking for our 2016 public appearances, and we're even speaking at a charity event for retired thoroughbred horses. Uh, that'll be in Connecticut in July. Um, uh, the obvious question is, will we be speaking on horse whispering? Well, maybe, maybe not. So far, the first event of the year will be on Saturday, February 13th, the Book Lovers and Local Authors Expo at the Cumberland Public Library, 1464 Diamond Hill Road in that lovely town where I lived for 17 years, right here in our local listening area. There will be no presentation, but there will be a meet and greet, and books will be for sale. It'll probably be just me because Ben didn't write any of the books I'll be selling. His, his and mine won't come out till next year, so we're told. So find out more about the show. Our public appearances and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, which we recently learned is rated one of the top websites in the world for visits and use, so we're told. That's the top million and a half out of 544 million sites on the planet. I'm told that's pretty good. And at our site, you can find over 650 free show, recorded shows of past uh, productions from both here on ON 1240 and our four and a half year run on CBS radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, you can also find books I've written, including the one we talked about tonight, Turning Home, uh, on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook. Uh, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, the bookstore there, I will sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those, all those podcasts and recorded shows free. Also on our websites, you'll find direct links to several charities I've mentioned. Uh, ben and I have adopted these, including USA Cares, the uh, BuildersHelpingHeroes.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, and also Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, doing great things for youth out there. Tony Lorraine and his team uh, doing some great stuff, YouthMentoring.org. Now, there are two books that would be of uh, special interest to our listeners here, uh, particularly in the local listening area in uh, northern Rhode Island, southeastern Mass. Uh, one is The Bell Witch Project, which contains the story of that famous uh, early 1800s case, and also a few contrib contributions by me on historic paranormal cases here in New England, things I had not written about before, and including the 17th century specter leaguers of Massachusetts and the 18th and 19th century vampire hysteria, believe it or not, there was one in Rhode Island and Connecticut. Now, special interest to folks here on ON 1240 uh, in our listening area is another Beckley-published uh, book called UFO Repeaters with an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier, talk show host here on ON for over 50 years. We used to look forward to seeing him every Monday when we came in to do our show. Uh, most recently, uh, I contributed to the, a new book, the newest book by Tim Beckley and Sean Castile, Tim, Timothy Green Beckley's Spooky Treasure Troves, UFOs, Ghosts, Cursed Pieces of Aid, and the Paranormal. What are you going to do, right? Uh, but Tim is great, and he uh, has some very interesting books, and I complimented that he included some of my stuff in there. I only contributed a few paragraphs. Anyway, you can get all those on Amazon.com. Now, next Monday, uh, January 18th, we'll welcome back award-winning filmmaker Jennifer Stein uh, for her look at the true story behind the Travis Walton alien abduction in 1975, a very famous case that, on which the film... Um, 
what is the film? Senior moment. Um, well, anyway, I'll tell you next week. But there was a whole uh, feature film made about that case. And we know Travis. He's a wonderful person. So in any case, uh, we, we invite you to, to continue to write uh, your very interesting and articulate notes. Please do not feel that you cannot uh, approach any particular subject in the paranormal. Uh, we like to hear about all subjects, and we are very pleased to be able to tell you that you can send them to behind the, Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com, and uh, that should do it. Now, we leave you this evening with a thought from dear old Mark Twain. Life would be infinitely happier if we could only be born at the age of 80 and gradually approach 18. Funny, I thought I said that. I, right. I'm Paul Eno, and Ben will be hopefully with us next week. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. We will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.